that's in a small city back in first century called Colossae. I don't know if you guys knew this, but about a year after he writes this letter, there was a huge earthquake in the area, and then history records that it was never rebuilt. So it doesn't even exist today. So this is small window, this very unique letter. We've been kind of just walking through it, and what we're learning is that it is completely relevant and practical to our lives. What Paul is writing to them is completely relevant and practical to our lives. So I want to do is just kind of give you a short overview and then pray, and then we'll dig into our passage today. Sound good? So this letter, like I said, is written from Paul, and he's writing this letter to this small city in Colossae, and the interesting thing is he's never been there. What happened was this kid named Epaphras, I say kid, probably young adult, who was in probably in the textile industry, he goes, this is, some of this is, is imagination that's built on what we do know about the letter, right? So here's this guy from Colossae. It was known for some farming, but mostly it was a textile industry. They, they, they dealt specifically with wool was their specialty and all kinds of clothes, kind of like the garment district maybe down in, in Los Angeles, kind of to give you some framework. And this guy, Epaphras, is in that kind of a business. He goes to this other city, which is a big, huge, well-known city, Call, uh, uh, called Ephesus, and he go, it's about 100 miles away, and probably for business he goes there. Well, it just happens that Paul, who's a missionary, is in prison there for being a missionary, and Epaphras hears him tell him about Jesus. And he's so moved by it, it transforms his life, and then he goes back to his hometown of Colossae and starts telling people what he learned. He, he preached, he's, he's telling them the gospel. He's telling them about who God is, about what God has done, and about what God has promised through this man named Jesus, right, that everybody had heard about, but they had different versions of the story that had spread, right? And so this church gets planted from Epaphras. How many of you guys, your favorite Bible character, his name is Epaphras, <laughs> right? You probably never even heard of him, but he's a hero. If you're, if you're, if you're pregnant right now with a boy, Epaphras or Kenny, good, two good choices. <laughs> now, he, he plants this church, and, and just as you can imagine, this small church is just getting built, and they're doing some things really well. And, th- and then whenever you have people, what happens? Problems happen, right? Because people are messy. Even in our church, we have some problems every once in a while, right? Because that's how it is when you're being real in, with messy people. And so he starts to have some problems that arise, and he doesn't know what to do. And if you're a leader, Paul uh, uh, Epaphras shows you a, a, a good thing that you can do when you don't know what to do is to go find someone to help you. So he goes back to Ephesus and finds Paul, and he says, here's the great things that are happening in our little church in Colossae, and here's some of the problems. And then Paul writes a letter of instruction back to them to help them, and that's the letter that we're studying of Colossae. So in this letter, Paul's never been there, so he reminds them, you guys are small, you think that nobody's heard about you, but but you're wrong. We've all heard about you. Paul has heard about you, and we're excited about you, and we're excited about the good things that are happening. We're excited specifically, he talks about your faith and your hope and your love that I'm hearing about, and also I'm hearing about some of the issues you guys are facing. I want to send you guys a letter and give you guys some help, some instruction. And the big picture, I would say, of this letter is that he wants them to be healthy so that they can grow to maturity. Paul wants them to be a church who's healthy so that they can grow to maturity. How many of you guys want to be more healthy so you could grow to maturity? 
And so there's a lot of relevance in this letter. So I want to pray, and then we'll dig into this, this, this section that God's given us for this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you initiate all things. We thank you that you sent your Son who accomplished all things. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which applies all these things in our lives. We thank you that we have a great support in, in knowing you and, and that you've given us each other as well. And although, although we are in the same context as this small church where we're just messy people, we're fellow strugglers, where it's okay to not be okay here. And many of us would be honest and say, if I'm honest, I'm not okay. But we need you. But we have you. So we're thankful. We want to hear from you this morning. We want, we want to ask you to just do a work in our lives this morning. We want to surrender and not try to fix ourselves. We want to surrender to you and say, God, you're the one who knows what to do. And so I just surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you pull out your notes, you'll see that today's sermon is called The Messy Process. The Messy Process. Because we're all in process, and here's the thing, is a lot of times in the middle of the process, it gets messy. Any of you guys ever tried to clean out an old closet or a garage that, um, that you just had been neglecting for a while? What happens on day one? You make a huge mess. And then you start to think, I shouldn't have started this project, right? I made more of a mess than, than, than I'm fixing. But the reality is, is sometimes you have to be willing to make a mess in order to fix the real problem. And so Paul is literally going to address some things that are, that are real messes hidden in some of our closets. And he's saying, I'm not doing it to make you feel bad, but I'm doing it because I want you to be healthy so that you can grow to maturity. And so there's nothing taboo to Paul. He talks about the hard stuff, and today's we're going to see that. So we call it the messy process. Um, but an introduction in section one is this, is that this, this series that we're talking about, we're calling it transferred. And so I want to do kingdom transferred review for a moment so you kind of are all on the same page. Now, Colossians 1.13, the beginning of the letter, 1.13 and 14, he says something that's important for us to build on. He says, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, which is Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So when it says he, earlier it's talking about the Father. We know as Christians we, we serve a, trin, uh, a trinity. We serve a trinitarian God where there's a Father, a Son, and a Spirit. And often you see them connected together in a sentence. So we have the Father who's talking about the Son, and then we're, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Father always initiates, the, the, the Son accomplishes, and the Holy Spirit applies these things in our lives. And there's in such a unity that they're one. So he's delivered us. The Father has delivered us. So here's the deal. You, you and I, we were in what the Bible calls the dom- domain of darkness. That's what you're born into. If you guys ever like, look at Facebook or, or the world around you and you go, man, so much darkness, amen? So much difficulty. And, so, but we, and we're, we're in that domain. We're born into this domain of darkness. And he's saying, but the good news is, is you were transferred from that domain of darkness, and you were put into a kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, where you have King Jesus, the kingdom of his son. And so something has changed in you. You've been transferred. 
You might not feel like it. And here's the hard part, is that when you're transferred, you're transferred in place, and many things about you haven't changed. When you look in the mirror, I would, I, would, I, would, I would suspect the day when you gave your life to Jesus and you got saved, something real happened. But you might have looked in the mirror and said, hmm, I still have you know, those nose hairs I need to attain to, right? You might have still seen some things that your physical appearance looks very much the same. Maybe your job doesn't change. You have the same job, right? You, you, you woke up and you looked in your house, you're like, I have the same family or same roommates, same neighbors, right? I'm, I live on the same street. A lot of things didn't change. You're in place, but the reality is that a lot of things did change. You have been transferred. You've been transferred. And so the first thing in your notes is that you have been transferred. You need to understand that to this new kingdom. Once you realize that you've been transferred then you have to figure out well what does that mean for me how do i how do i function in this new kingdom what's different and so in colossians 3 1 and 4 we looked at last week he says if then you have been raised with christ or if you've been transferred to, to to this new kingdom you've been raised with christ then seek the things that are above in that kingdom where christ is seated at the right hand of god he's the king Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we see a past, a present, and a future in there. You, you, were, you were dead, and now you were made alive, and you are now you're hidden. Right? You have been raised. You were raised. You were dead, and you were raised. Now, where are you at? You're hidden. And then it says, when he appears, you will appear. So there's this past, present, and future where, where something happened to you. You were transferred. You were raised. And now you're hidden. But when he comes back, you'll be raised to be with him. You'll no longer be hidden. So we gave a little diagram last week. I want to kind of go over that. We have that on our, on our board. Yeah. So this is kind of just a, a picture of this passage that before... You lived and you had life on the earth. You see on the left side, it was life on this earth, right? And, and the way that you would have defined life was from the time when you were born till the time that you die. Everything in between that is your life. That's why we come up with things like YOLO. You only live once, right? And so the idea is you got to make the most of this little area because that's all you kind of got. And then in your thinking, most of us would, would agree that you have this life on your earth and then someday... In the future, you will have an afterlife. And people will argue about what that looks like and if there even is one. But, but we have this, this idea. And then in between this, this, this separation is just our man-made religious ideologies, right? All our ideas of what would happen. But you'd see that there's this defined separation, like the things on earth of this life are different than the things in the afterlife. They're two separate lives. And then what the Bible teaches us is on the right is know that you've been transferred. We have a new way of seeing it. We have this life on earth, but we have Jesus who came from heaven to earth. He's invaded and he's collided these together. It says the mystery that was hidden for ages is this, that Jesus has come and that now there's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we have, now we have this life on earth. And then while you're still on this earth, you, you get transferred into this hidden in Christ area, and you'll notice that eternal life happens while you're still on this earth. Eternal life starts 
The moment you have a relationship with Jesus, not someday in this afterlife. And so letter B in your notes is this, that you have a new life. You have a new life. Eternal life equals, in the Bible, having a relationship with God. Jesus taught that in, J- in John 17, 3. He said, this is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus. So eternal life is defined as having a relationship with Jesus. You have this relationship with Jesus now, and there's somehow this, it, he refers to it as being hidden, and it's the only way in the Bible where it uses this language, that you're hidden in Christ. You have this relationship with Jesus, but in some sense, you're hidden. And I I don't know exactly what he meant, but I can think about it like this. You're hidden in this. Some people can look. You can't just look at someone and go, that's a Christian. That's not a Christian, right? we're, We're just humans, right? We look the same on the outside, and so we're hidden. But there's something different about us on the inside. It's hidden. It should come out so people can... Can, that's, what he, that's what he talks about a lot, like let your light shine so people can see that and give glory to God. But in all senses, it's hidden, and you could keep it hidden if you want to. But what does the Bible say? Is that, uh, you don't take a light and hide it under, right? You don't, you're not supposed to hide it in that way. But somehow we're hidden, and then we'll go to be with him when he comes back. But you have a new life. And what, what happens in this process of your hiddenness is this is that you are being transformed you're being transformed and we see this from colossians 3 he says you keep your minds and your hearts on things above so the first change happens in your heart and in your mind the first change happens in your heart and your mind so you've been changed with your with your with your heart you now you now you now believe in your heart in your mind right so this chance this transformation begins in your heart and your mind and then the next phase is it's your identity. Your identity changes. And that's, the, that's, the, that's kind of the stumbling block for a lot of Christians. I don't feel different. Was it even real, my transformation, my transference, right? Was it even real? Because I don't feel different. But you need to realize that you are different. You have a new identity. You're a new creation. The Bible says you're born again. You're born again into this new creation. And then collectively, we're all new. We're a new humanity. The, that's, that's how theologians call it. We're this new humanity. All things are new, yet some things aren't new. And so we're being transformed and renewed so that those things match. So you're being transformed. Change of heart, change of identity. And then what would happen? There'd be a change of action, a change of, of life would lead to a change of identity. It would, it would lead to outward changes that people can actually see. So last week we, we said this was a Kingdom Transformation 101 where we got started. And today you guys have all graduated. If you weren't here last week, I just caught you up. There's no test. You guys have just now, are now ready to enter Transformation 201. You guys ready? Kingdom Transformation 201. This is the passage for today. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Paul says to them, so put to death, therefore, and you can just remember, since you've, since you no longer see things like on the left, where there's this separation, and you realize that your life on earth is collided with your, your eternal life, they, they, they have this, this togetherness, and you're hidden with Christ, since all that's happened, since you have a new heart, new mind, new identity, and your, and your actions are being transformed, since that's happening, so he says, since that's happening, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once uh, walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Some of you guys came in here and you thought, man, I'm a real Scythian. Not anymore. <laughs> now, you're, now you're new in Christ. So the idea here is Paul is, is naming names. He's talking about some hard things, right? Sexual immorality, anger, stuff that we deal with. But the re- reality is the reason why he's doing that is because he wants us to be healthy so that we can grow to maturity. He's not wanting us to feel bad so we run away and never come to church again. He was wanting us to grow, be healthy so that we can grow to maturity. And so he talks about these things. And in this passage, one of the things he's talked about is that this, this, this gospel has come to Colossae through Epaphras, and it was like a seed. And it, and it landed in Colossae, and he was excited the fact that he's hearing that it's growing, and he goes, like it's growing all over the place. There's this power in this gospel. If this gospel's a seed, it gets into the soil, specifically in Colossae, and it starts to grow. And anytime, if you're, if you're working in, in, in a garden, right, if, if, you, if you have a seed and it starts to grow, what else can happen? Weeds can happen, you know, uh, toxins could happen, environmental problems can happen. So it's not like you just get planted one time and then it's going to grow. You've got to do some work in order to make sure it's healthy so they can grow to maturity. And that's really the kind of the context he's talking about here is that you're going to need to pull some weeds and you're not going to need to deal with some things and so let's deal with some things and the first thing in your notes is this he, t- he teaches us that we need to starve our addictions we need to starve our addictions how many of you guys if 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 in a in 10 days from now you had to fight a gladiator I mean let's get gladiator this morning right you were going to fight a gladiator I don't care if you're a girl or a guy you had to fight a gladiator, right? In 10 days. And he's going to live in your house. How many of you guys would feed him steak, oatmeal, steroids, <laughs> make him protein shakes, get him a personal trainer? How many of you guys think that would be a good idea? No, that would be silly, right? What are you going to do? Man, you're going you're gonna to wear him out, keep him up all night playing video games and smoking pot and eating Cheetos, right? <laughs> Because I want to fight that gladiator in 10 days. I don't want to fight well-rested, you know, healthy. And so that's kind of the idea here is this. Is some of you guys have some things that you struggle with. And he's like, look, don't feed the gladiator. Starve the addiction. That's something that you're going to need to deal with. Right? So starve the addiction. He goes, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Specifically, some issues that they were dealing with were sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I want to talk about something that is very relevant, but it's hard, and it's sexual addiction. What sexual addiction really is, it's just intimacy disorder. 
It's not just a bad habit. It's intimacy disorder. Intimacy has been defined like this. It's, it's into me you can see. Intimacy. Intimacy is when into me you can see. We all want intimacy. We want people to be able to see us for who we really are. Most women want to be heard, right, by their husbands. And most husbands want to be respected. And they want you to see that they're trying hard and, and that they're doing their best. There's this idea, and, and these, this forms like an intimacy. Into me, you see. Well, you can already see how that can be hard, right? Because that's vulnerable, that's scary, that's risky. When you allow someone to see past the outer layer, that's a big risk. What if they don't like you? What if they reject you? What if you've let some people in your life get past that, that layer and then they weren't trustworthy and they hurt you? Then it becomes even harder. So this idea of intimacy is very important in the Bible. God created us for intimacy. It wasn't good for the man to be alone. So he, he, he created woman from his flesh, and, and they were to be intimate. And they were to have this intimate relationship with, with God and with each other. And then when sin entered, what did they feel first? They felt shame, and they hid. They were, it, was, it was an intimacy issue. Sexual addiction is intimacy disorder. For most guys, it, it takes the, the form in pornography. Why is pornography free such a big deal? Because you can, you can have the self-gratification without the risk. That's why it's so powerful. But for girls, there, 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 there's this too. Is we, we, wanna, we, want, we, 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 we create these body images, right? That's a big struggle. They're really just image issues, right? Or... For all of us in our generation, we want we want to skip past the development of intimacy and just go towards physical intimacy in our relationships too fast. Why? Because we want intimacy, we want the feeling of intimacy without the risk of intimacy. It's just intimacy disorder is what it is. And this, this forms sexual addiction. God created sex. And it was way more than physical action. It was way more than that. There's an emotional aspect to it. There's a spiritual aspect to it. There's so many aspects to it. And if you only look at it as a physical aspect, you've got it all wrong. And he's like, that's not healthy. And you need to be healthy in order to grow to maturity. So why does Paul bring this up? He doesn't bring it up because he wants you to feel bad or awkward or, or wish you didn't come to church today. He brings it up because he loves you and he, he wants there to be, there should be no, there should be nothing to, that we couldn't talk about at church. Amen? I mean, we, this should be a place where it's okay to talk about these real things. And so he does. And so we do. So sexual addiction is an intimacy disorder. It's not that there's something wrong with you, but it's, the, and the goal isn't to just stop Whatever it is you're doing, the goal is to aim towards healthy intimacy. That's the reward. Martin Luther was a, a, a great theologian about 500 years ago. He said this. He said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. What does that mean with sexual addiction? You, could, you might say it like this. I can't get away from it, right? 
Everywhere I go, I'm bombarded by this. I don't care if you're young or you're old, billboards, commercials, TV shows. It used to be that pornography was storyless, and it was just about the pornography. Now it's the best stories that that we're telling on TV are are ingrained with pornography. Reality. We're defining pornography like we used to, and we're not realizing that there's this this surge of pornography that's coming in in the middle of great storylines. And so we justify it. But the reality is, is it affecting you? Yes, it is affecting you. So God, cre- you, can't, you, can't keep, you, can't, you can't go in a bubble, right? You can't keep the birds from flying over hair. But some of us are letting it build a nest in our hair. That's something that you can deal with. When, it, when you talk about starving your addictions, that might be something for you to think about. Lastly, in this section, you're only as sick as your secrets and addiction thrives in that darkness. You're only as sick as your secrets. And that addiction thrives in that darkness. Again, Paul is not bringing this up because he wants you to feel bad. He's bringing, bringing this up because it's real. And, it, and, and, and you should be able to talk about it in church. And we're going to talk about it in church. And he's, he wants you to, to go to freedom. And you're not alone. And you're only, as, you're only as sick as your secrets. Find some people. Build some relationships before you need them. Or if you're in that place, take that risk. We have a recovery group that t- Tim leads. Our worship pastor is also our recovery pastor. He's awesome. And they meet twice a month. That's a great place to, to start. There's a bunch of guys, if you're a man, who, who can go there and you can be loved, you can be accepted, there's nothing that you're going to tell them that they're going to be like, oh man, you're too bad. You, you need to find another group, right? That's healthy. It's one of the healthiest things we have at this church is a recovery group because it's okay to not be okay. And you don't drift towards health. You're not going to wake up one day healthy. You don't drift towards health. You have to take steps towards health. And so you've got to starve your addictions. If you need to talk more about that, then the conversation can go on. But that's all we're going to deal with that in this section in this sermon but starving your addictions paul says and then the second thing in letter b in your notes in this section is this that some of us need to pull the weeds he says you need to starve your addictions and you need to pull the weeds he says but but now you must put them away all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth if sexual sin self-gratification is a sign of selfishness, which it is, then these things are a sign of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness and selfishness. Self-righteousness, when you get angry, a lot of times, why are you angry? Because you think, I'm better than that, right? I don't do that. You're doing something that crosses the line, right? You, you're forgetting to remember that you're messed up. Right? The Bible talks about don't judge people. It doesn't say don't, don't decide what's right and what's wrong. What it's saying is don't forget that you're messed up too. Right? We're all messy. But this is, these are some signs of kind of some self-righteousness. You've got to pull the, pull the weeds. This guy Warren Worsby often called the pastor's pastor. He says this. He says, no amount of lecturing about beauty will produce a garden the gardener has to pull some weeds. 
we could get together and talk about like church and what we're supposed to do and 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 what what we wish our church was like here's all the stuff that's going wrong with this church and here's all the stuff that i would do if i was the leader and we could talk about all that stuff all you want but the reality is is that's not going to make anything beautiful they're going to have to pull some weeds amen so this section's about pulling weeds and none of these sins none of these things anger wrath malice slander obscene talk none of these things are the real you None of these things are the real you. If you're saying, I want to be authentic, none of those things are the real you. And the reason why I say that is this. I meet so many people, and they, and they want to justify it. I'm just an angry person. I'm just angry, right? I just react. I can't help it. I've always been that way, right? The, these, these are some of the, the things, right? I, I just don't like people. I'm more of a dog person, <laughs> Right? Uh, I'm just social. I love TMZ, right? I just I'm a people I'm I'm a people watcher, right? It's interesting to me, and I like to I like to share what I what I find because it's interesting, right? You no, know, you're a gossip, right? I have a dirty mouth. It's just the way that I am, right? It's kind of become vogue in some Christian circles um, to 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 call these things being authentic. I'm an authentic Christian, right? I love Jesus and I cuss, right? I'm authentic. The reality is, the rea- and, I, and I get where we're going with, with this. I don't want to beat that up too much. This is kind of the transformation that's happened is we, we think like this. Why does the church care so much about something small like cussing, but they don't care about children that are starving around the world or, or the corruption in our, in our government or, or inequality or social justice issues? Why do we care about the small? Th- that's a big deal. That's true. But that doesn't mean that it's okay. For you to justify and say, this is just the real me, right? And so he's like, you got to pull some weeds. The Bible gives a better aim than just being authentic or keeping it real. The aim is to be mature. I'm just being me. Are you being mature? Are you being healthy so that you can grow to maturity? That's what the Bible is pointing us towards. So we put off the old self. And we be the new creation that God's made you to be. That's what he's calling you to. This whole picture that we're going to look at this week and last week is about putting stuff off. And then next week he's going to talk about so putting on things. We believe that the picture is, is back in the first century, often during baptism, when you would, when you would celebrate this transformation that's happened, you would show up to the baptism in your old clothes. And then you would take off your old clothes you would put on new clothes. Often they had a robe that you would wear. And you would be baptized in this new robe. And it was to signify that your old life is old. And your new life has begun. And so that's kind of the language that Paul's talking about. And he's saying more than just the action of taking off clothes. Let's get a little deeper to the heart issue. Let's pull some weeds. Right? Let's starve some things that need to get starved. Not feed them. Not feed our addictions. We starve our addictions. And then in letter C, you need to seek accountability. Not only can you not do it alone, he doesn't want you to do it alone. We need to seek accountability. And he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Don't lie to one another. The opposite of that would be seek out accountability. Be honest with one another. Find people that you can be honest with. We need to build significant relationships before you need them. If 
we're honest, this is hard for some of us. Some of you guys are at a roadblock. Like, I don't like letting people in. I'm not ready to let people in. I don't want to let people in. I've been hurt before. I don't trust people. That's very real. It's very real. The answer is not to jump a thousand steps and say, no, I'm now I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to stand up right now and confess to everybody what I'm dealing with. It's not what we're saying. All I'm saying is the first move is a change of your heart and your mind to realize, well, this is a problem. This is an issue that I need to work on. Because here's the thing. If you're hiding because you've been hurt, hiding doesn't lead you to health. So it's not the answer. It's not the answer. There's got to be a third option where we find people, we seek out people, and we build relationship where we can be honest. And this might take some work. Some weeds, I don't know if you guys have ever done much weeding. I haven't done a whole lot because I hate it. But I found this to be true. Some of the most innocent-looking weeds are the biggest problem. Sometimes you're in there and you're like, man, this little weed's just like a little wimpy weed. I got this, right? And you grab it and you're like, you think you're going to pull it out and it snaps. Then you realize, oh, the root is gnarly, right? All of a sudden you got a shovel out and you're 14 feet in there and you're like, okay, I got this weed, right? It was this little thing. And you pull the weed out and then some weed, have you guys ever heard of a pepper tree? We were just talking about this at work. Here's the thing about a pepper tree. You, you cut the pepper tree because it's like it grows in your neighbor's thing and you cut it, what does it do? gets mad and it grows back like a vengeance like come back next week and it's like 14 other new branches right some weeds are like that and we got to deal with them though so i'm not saying this is going to be easy or fast i'm not saying you're going to get healed of this in a moment maybe you could be praying for that but this might be something that you need to work on but i'm just asking would you be willing to say that's me now at least i know what i'm going to ask god to work on in my life Seek accountability. And then the goal, the goal of all of this is maturity. So the goal of discipleship, he says, is being renewed after the image of its creator. Here's what discipleship is. Discipleship, this isn't on the board, so if you're looking up there, you're like, cool, I'm going to look on the board. It's not going to be up there. I just thought of this. (laughs) Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. What do you do at this church? We passionately point people to Jesus. We teach them to be disciples and make disciples. Well, what's disciple? Disciple is someone who is becoming more and more like Jesus. When Jesus invited his first disciples, this is the exact language he says. He said, follow me and I will make you become. Fishers of men, right? Follow me and I'll make you become because discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so our aim is Jesus. The aim of discipleship, the aim of maturity, what does maturity look like? It looks like being more like Jesus. That's the aim. So here's three things that we learn in this passage. We'll have the worship team come back up. Here's three things we learn about the goal, this aim. The first thing is this, that you need to accept that you're accepted. If you've been transferred, you need to accept that you're accepted. He says it like this, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Does it say you will do that? Does it say you might do that? It says you have. It's an absolute statement. You have. What he's saying is accept that you've been transferred. Accept 
that you're new. Accept that you're loved by God. Accept that you're accepted at this church. Accept that there's nothing that you could do to make God love you any less. Accept that there's nothing that you could do to make him love you anymore. Accept that you're accepted. That's the hardest part. Accepting that you're accepted. But, but I have all these reasons why I don't believe it's true. No. You've got to accept that you're accepted. Because God says you are. And he's always right. So accept that you're accepted is a huge deal. Accept that you have a new identity. Then you are being renewed. Is it your job alone? No. You're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This renewal process is something that God is working on your life. He's working in your life. You are being renewed. In, Coloss- in, a, in a, a Philippians 1.6 it says, You be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means you are being renewed by Jesus. Uh, I, I work as a fire, in the fire department and um, uh, I worked the last four days and so a lot of crazy stuff happened this last four days, right? We had a couple fires. Um, we had just had a, a couple shootings, had a police-involved shooting. It was just a crazy four days. Well, I, I'm in the middle of Santa Ana. It's very a, a huge homeless population. I don't know if you know much about homelessness, but homelessness basically ha- takes different forms. Some people are institutionally homeless. They were born homeless. Their grandparents were homeless. They don't know anything different, right? And they're homeless. Some people are homeless because of drugs and alcohol, right? They have, they have those types of addictions. And some people are homeless because they have psychological problems. And so we deal with that a lot. Well, I went on a patient as a paramedic, and the police were there, and this person was obviously, he had psychological problems. And here was the issue is we weren't there to hurt him. We were there to help him. He was actually in an environment where he was going to get hurt. And so we were trying to help him. We were trying to talk to him, be nice to him, say, can we get you on the gurney? We'll take you to the hospital. And he was violently fighting against us, like, like, like trying to attack us like a gladiator. And it just, it just dawned on me. And you've got to be patient. You understand why they're doing that. And so it's not like, you know, you get angry, and, 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 and some guys do. But I, being in the environment doesn't help, right? But here's what I realized. Here's this person who has psychiatric behaviors, and we're just trying to help him. And he doesn't understand. So he's trying to fight us. It just hit me. How often do I do that with God? He's like, I'm just here to help. I'm just here to help you. And I'm just fighting against it because I don't understand why he's allowing these things to happen in my life. I don't understand what you're doing, God, and I'm mad, and I don't understand it, so I'm going to fight against you. And he's like, I'm just trying to help. I'm taking you somewhere that you, that's good for you. I want to lead you to health. I want to help you, and I'm just fighting him. Who's willing to give up the fight this morning and just surrender and say, God, I don't want to be like that just because I don't understand what you're doing. I just want to put myself in your hands. You're the great surgeon. You're the great healer. You're the great counselor. You're the lover of my soul. You can have, I, I trust you. Before you can trust anybody else who's human, who is a mess, you've got to be able to trust this God who is not a mess, who will never let you down, who would never do something Listen to me, because some of you guys don't believe this right now. There's a root in you. God will never do something to intentionally hurt you. He always has a bigger picture in mind. God never wastes a hurt. God never allows something to happen because he's angry with you and trying to get you back. 
He's for you. He has your best interest in mind. It won't always feel good. It will hurt sometimes. But the goal is not to hurt you. Sometimes surgery hurts. And the goal is to heal you. You're being renewed. And lastly, you are not defined by human labels. That's what he says. He goes, here there's, no, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all, you're not, you're not defined by human labels. In other words, he's not saying that you need to conform to each other. The goal of Christianity is not at one day to have one race. Matter of fact, we get to Revelation there's multiple, there's all the nations, all the tongues, all the tribes. It's not one race, it's one humanity. Celebrate our differences, but the only label that's going to matter in the last day is are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? Your label is now in Christ. Your situation right now is you've been transferred, you're hidden in God, in Christ, awaiting his return. When he returns, he's going to take us victoriously. You're not a victim of a senseless and cruel world. You are a victor awaiting a greater reality. So I want to pray. We'll lead into worship. And I want to just tell you this. There's going to be some people that want to pray over here. They're going to pray for you. This is a culture of our church. We don't wait until we're at our last string to go get prayed for. So when you see people get up and go get prayed for, nobody should go, "Mm, I wonder what's going on in their life. They're more mature than you. And they realize that that prayer is there, right? And I keep saying this over. If you went to Magic Mountain or Disneyland, you went on your favorite ride, and you got off and you saw that there was no line, how many of you guys would, would go to a line? No, you would get back on there, right? I can't wait till the day I see someone come over here and get prayed for and they leave and they look back and they realize, oh, everyone else is missing out. I'm getting back in line, right? Prayer is like that. So I want to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to surrender. Please take advantage of the fact that people want to pray for you to a living God who can 